This is Talking Asset Management with KPMG. In today's episode, we discuss the UK Qualifying Asset Holding Company regime and implications for credit funds. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. This is Pat Brooks, and this is a continuation of our credit series, our credit podcast, which really focus on uh, credit funds, industry trends, technical issues, and the like. And today we're going to focus our discussion on the UK qualifying asset holding company regime. And we thought it'd be really good for you all to, to learn more about it. And here to talk about this with us today is Mike Bowen. He's a partner in our UK office and he's uh, sits on our help desk in New York. And Sam Riesenberg, he's a partner in Washington National Tax International, really focused on, on credit funds. And you've all heard him speak before. So, Getting right into it, I'm going to ask a couple straightforward questions and then, then, then really ask you some, some tougher ones as the time goes on. But first, what is this regime and, and why was this regime put in place, Mike? Sure. Thanks, Pat. And it's great to be here. Um, so in summary, the UK has created this new regime, as you said, the snappily called Qualifying Asset Holding Company Regime, or we usually say AHC regime. And it can be used by eligible companies from the 1st of April 2022. The UK's intention has been to create a tax regime that compares favourably to similar regimes that exist in places such as Luxembourg and Ireland and remove historically perceived barriers to the use of the UK companies in asset holding company platforms. In essence, this new regime is a ring-fenced regime that sits within the wider UK tax framework. For companies that access the new regime, there are a series of enhanced UK tax features, including a broad participation exemption, the ability to deduct results-dependent financing against taxable profits in the entity, some carve-outs from the UK's hybrid rules, no UK withholding tax on interest to related or third parties, and access to the UK's extensive treaty network. These developments are part of a wider UK strategic focus on the investment management sector that's currently been undertaken by the UK government. The UK is already a global hub for asset management activity and their government are very focused on enhancing and developing the industry by making sure tax, regulatory and legal frameworks are as conducive to this type of activity as possible. And, and this is a one step in this, in this wider kind of development and strategic focus. The new regime is suitable for across a range of investment strategies. Obviously, credit is what we're talking about today, but it's also relevant for private equity, real estate and infrastructure. And it's available to both new platforms and existing platforms that may want to migrate to the UK. Because of the ring fence nature, there are some eligibility conditions to be met by companies, which, which require, an exam, for example, a review of the investor makeup of the fund and also place some limitations on activity that can be undertaken. While not particularly complex or limiting, we are getting some questions around these conditions and how they practically may apply. Uh, these questions are, are due to the, the regime being new, and we consider it as something that will become more navigable as people gain familiarity with the new rules. So that's just a brief summary of what's going on. So maybe I'll just pause there. That's more than a brief summary. That was that, that, <laughs> no, that, that was fantastic. I mean, I, I guess how has and this is going to go to both of you. How have, have, have people reacted to this? Like they're they're seeing this regime. They have some questions, but overall. Are we are we really seeing uh, much more noise around this, or what what do we see? I mean, Sam, I can I can start first. I mean, from a yeah. from from what I'm seeing, the the U.S. businesses that have existing UK operations and quote unquote substance in the UK, 
these developments are very appealing and should be very appealing because the new regime allows those groups to kind of lower costs and align what I'd say operational substance and legal structures together, making those structures easier to operate and possibly more robust against substance type, type challenges. So for groups looking to locate in the UK, they'd be able to utilize those existing resources and, and asset management infrastructure that they have there. I don't know if you've had any thoughts or, or conversations I, in that I, regard. Yeah, Mike, I think that that's exactly right. One one quick comment first. I, I, I We kind of skipped over. I thought people are calling it the quack regime, right? To some degree. Yes. I, I think we should at yes. least acknowledge that. Yeah. We, we, um, we should, we should but, acknowledge that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but I guess we're, we're taking a more official approach, uh, as we should, right? But the... Um, what I've seen with the um, with the funds is exactly that, Mike, and I might break it down even further on the U.S. side at least, that you have funds that are are struggling to manage their um, their 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 substance. For example, in Luxembourg, they don't necessarily have people there, you know, just to take a jurisdiction where which is otherwise popular in a good jurisdiction, but they have a deal team in London. And so this is now a great regime that, that they didn't necessarily have something that was available to them for maybe European, you know, uh, headquartered deals, et cetera. So those, those smaller funds are maybe not as, as invested in Europe. This is, to some degree, a game changer, really, for, for those types of funds. Uh, for, for those that are larger and maybe already have substance in, 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 in Europe, this is still interesting to, to many of those funds we're finding because they, they turn around and say, actually, I, I, I really like this because I, I may be spread out between too many jurisdictions and my deal team is in London and, and I just was going to other jurisdictions to some degree because I didn't have a good, you know, uh, a, a good option in, in the UK. So this is a, a really great option for, from either of those perspectives as we're seeing from, from clients. So if we break down the the clients a little further, just go specifically to credit funds. All right. So what should credit funds specifically be doing? So look, the, from a credit perspective, I think this is a really interesting regime because it mirrors the regimes that credit funds really know very well in both Luxembourg and, and Ireland where they use these regimes, for example, currently. So it's something that they know in terms of the technology and the way that you manage your, your local taxes, for example, in the UK, effectively. Uh, the, they, so it's not like they're coming into a new type of regime uh, uh, in terms of the way that the taxes are managed. I think from a U.S. perspective, looking down at, at a, a, a U.K. asset management holding company, that that they can really use that substance that they have in in the UK, as as Mike said, uh, to be interested, uh, you know, to to make those European loans. And then from a U.S. perspective in particular, this is potentially quite interesting because of the availability of the uh, access to to treaties, and particularly the U.S. tax treaty, uh, which I think we're going to come on to in a little bit. But the from a from a U.S. tax perspective, uh, this is very very interesting because. If you set up one of these regimes in a way that the entity also has access to a U.S. tax treaty, we can look at you know, the, the, the possibility of, of inbound lending to the U.S. in a tax-efficient manner as well. Well, yeah, actually, let's, let's, let's take that where you're going. So you're talking about U.S.-specific, but, you know, Mike, when we talk about more from a global perspective and the, and the treaties and all that, so what are your thoughts with this regime? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point, and I think it goes back to the 
the kind of start of this conversation, which was a couple of years ago, really, with the UK government about how they would structure the regime. And it was very important to them early on and, and came through kind of interaction with the UK advisor and market communities that that it had to sit within the UK tax framework. So it was able to access the UK treaty network. And that's very much the path they've gone down, which is embedding the regime within the wider UK tax framework. So you have access to the treaties and then adding on these enhancing act, uh, features to to make the to make the company within the regime as a, as effective and efficient as possible and and therefore comparable to places like Luxembourg and Ireland. So that's that's a really important point and is and kind of pivotal pivotal to the regime. And um, just on the credit points I'd say that the kind of re results dependent financing feature is really interesting and it's something that the UK has historically struggled with so we haven't been able to previously use profit participating note technology or yeah. convertible convertible loan note type technology because the uk code would just historically treat that as a distribution uh, or equity like instrument and so you deny deductibility that's all gone away now so the, the the rules are very clear that 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 type of financing instrument is permissible and, and that should be quite interesting and powerful i think going forward you know actually just just to clarify also um there's sort of like there's good investors and category a investors and, and that kind of like and then there's investors that this doesn't apply to, right? So yep. can you maybe speak about who this doesn't apply to? Yeah, so, well, the way I think about it is who, who are the good investors? I suppose the, the point is that the there are certain qualifying institutional investors, so things like charities, long-term insurance, sovereigns, pension funds, those types of people are all, are all in as good investors. And then the way to think about it outside of that is they have this feature called a qualifying fund feature so if your if your fund itself meets the qualifying fund requirement you just don't have to think about anything further from there so the, the tests and the focus will be on the eligibility of the fund itself um, because all of the investors who aren't those kind of qualifying investors are are not, are not automatically within the regime and so you have to then think about things around what we call like genuine diversity of ownership of the fund, whether the fund is not close, so it's not controlled by a concentrated number of people, or whether the fund itself is then ultimately owned by category A investors. So there are some hurdles to that eligibility criteria. There are things to think around like carried interest, for example, or tracing through feeders. You know, those things will be will have to be thought through. But that's good because it gives people like me something to do, frankly. Um, but, but generally, the, the plan is for the regime to be as flexible as possible. You answered a, a question that I intend to ask, but I asked the original question very poorly. What I, what I was actually trying to get at is, how are, how are UK investors impacted by this? So if you do have some UK investors, like what does this mean for them? Yeah, so the, the, the feature for UK investors is that's pretty powerful is that, so UK investors are all interested in maintaining kind of capital characterization of returns where possible and not getting it turned into income treatment because of the difference between the income rates and capital gains rates for UK investors. And what the what the regime does is it allows you to effectively re, re, retain that character of capital versus income for relevant capital returns to the vehicle. So that's pretty powerful and interesting to UK investors. And it also does that in a way, in a way that doesn't uh, invoke our stamp duty rules in the UK, which got, which is effectively a stamp a transfer tax for UK investors. And so that's pretty powerful as well. So those features are embedded within the regime. Yeah, I wanted to, to, to come over the top of that as well and say that that one really interesting thing about this is that when we're looking at, at using this for, for potentially investing into the US, uh, that uh, UK investors 
now have a vehicle that they didn't really have before that allows them to, to maybe invest into the UK that then invest into the US tax efficiently. And not only that, UK uh, owners will qualify as a general matter for the US limitation of benefits test. So UK capital can help you get over those hurdles for treaty access in, in a more natural way. And so this could be a very powerful mechanism for, for getting you know, tax efficient uh, UK uh, capital invested you know, globally, but, but specifically as well into the United States that we, we didn't have before. Well, this has been great, guys. A lot of information in, in 10 to 12 minutes, but it is something that we feel is important for people to know and understand and, and look at this structure is, is, is another one that they can look at to, to get different types of investors uh, in, into their funds. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we look forward to talking to you again at our next podcast. Thanks for listening to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. Be sure to subscribe to the series and visit read.kpmg.us forward slash talking dash asset dash management for more information.